The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What story will your kids tell when it's their story to tell? And this applies not just to parents, but to siblings, to teachers, coaches, anyone who has influence. You're going to shape the story of those that you influence. You're going to shape the story they tell. And so, (laughs) what story will they tell about you? and your influence when it's their story to tell and you no longer get to control what they say or how you shape kind of the story you tell in their life. The reality is someday it's just gonna be a story they tell about their experience with you and so what's gonna shape that story and how do you make sure that it's a story that they tell well, right? It's a good story and how well are you shaping their life Today. Now, here is a challenge. There's a really big gap between what we often try to aim for, what is ideal, and what is real, right? Like, this is just the reality of life, the reality of the circumstances. And I'll be honest with you. Um, so, for Laura and I, you know, we had our, our three girls first, and we, you know, there's a 10 year gap between our girls and our boys. And so, at some point, we thought, man, we're doing a pretty good job. Like, this whole parenting, I think we're doing pretty good. And then we had three boys. After that, and now I really have been pretty intimidated about doing a message on parenting. Like, I'm like, please, nobody come watch us, help. Uh, So I'm just being brutally honest here. Parenting is hard. It's hard work, it's scary, and you're terrified that you're just gonna wreck your kids' lives, and all they're gonna need is therapy. And so I wanna wanna just talk about my parents. No kidding. Um, no, but I, it, does, it, it, it is an interesting thing when you think back on your parents and the way they parented you, and then, you know, you had that moment in life when you were like, I'll never do that, and then you hear yourself saying something, and you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Like, I've become my parents, and, and so think about it. It's, it's what your parents did, not said, that determine whether you respected them, whether you eventually liked them and wanted to be like them. It was their behavior, not their advice, that shaped the story that you tell and whether you respect them. And so the truth is, it's what you do, not what you say, that will determine whether your kids respect you and even like you or want to be like you when they no longer have to be around you. A day will come when they don't have to be around us. And we don't get to determine what story they tell. And what I know to be a fact is it's what they did and what we do that will shape whether they respect us or not. And so this is a tough one because it's hard to be a parent when you're still desperately, desperately in need of parenting. We don't make good parents if we really still need someone to spend a lot of time parenting us, if we're consumed with our own life, when we're selfish, when we're impulsive, when we're caught up in our own ego or our own desires. And so where do you go for good parenting advice? Because the truth is right now, we, you know, we live in a culture where we never, I want to say this very delicately because I'm not trying to, trying to point fingers, 
But boy, when things go wrong in someone's life, especially a young person's life, you notice no one ever says like a parent did not do a good job parenting. And so where do you turn when it seems like there's a level parent, a level playing field on all parenting? But yet something deep inside of us says there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Those are good principles and those are bad principles. In this series, first comes love, right? So first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage, and then comes sleepless nights and no sleep. And when there's little sleep, there's little fun in the home. And... You know, like there's a lot of other things that come after the baby in the baby carriage. And so, you know, where do you go to get advice? And so in this sermon series, we're looking at couples throughout the Bible that we can learn from either the mistakes they made or the things they did well that we can pull principles from. And I thought, you know, if you're going to do a message on parenting, like I actually went through a lot of couples in the Bible looking for a good example. And, you know, like there are a very small, like there are a few but there's not a lot about them on like the way they parented. And so like, what I realized is like, there's not very many good examples of parents in the Bible. Now, if you're looking for like dysfunction, Bible's filled with it. If you're looking for like bad parents, they're all over the place. But like good godly parents who raise good godly children, yeah, there's, there's just not very many. And so I went, I got desperate and I just went to Jesus. I figured you can't go wrong. And, but I've honestly, so this is good, right? Like, I actually have never, this is crazy. I've actually never, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon using Mary and Joseph as the example of parenting. Now, I think I know why. Because they raised Jesus. I mean, how hard can that be? I mean, but think about how intimidating that is to be chosen by God to be the parents of God. So I thought, hey, there was something they did that even God himself thought, I can trust them with parenting my son. So that's why I went looking that direction. And, you know, and they didn't just raise Jesus, by the way. I mean, I know some of you come from different um, religious backgrounds. And so some of you thought Mary, even after she had Jesus, that they, they were, her and Joseph were never intimate and they never had any other children. That's not consistent with scripture. Uh, there's multiple times, even in the Gospels, where it says that, you know, Jesus' brothers and sisters came to him, his mother came to him, and so obviously he had siblings. In fact, one of his brothers, James, becomes a leader in the church and has a significant role in the church. But, you know, before Jesus... Uh, dies on the cross and is resurrected. His family's not all that healthy. There's some crazy stuff going on. Like, in fact, his siblings thought he was crazy. And then he rose from the dead and they were like, oh, oh, that explains it. That explains everything. And, and so, you know, like, it's a pretty cool story about how like Mary and Joseph raised Jesus. And so I, I just thought I would pull you into the story and then hopefully pull some principles out of it on maybe some things we can do as parents. Because I get it. Like every one of us, like, unless your kids are older, you're intimidated by this because it's a huge responsibility. Even if you're a teacher, a coach, a counselor, a sibling, a peer, right? Like it's a huge responsibility to, to um, have the life of someone else entrusted into your care, especially because most of us think that our kids will probably need therapy uh, by the time they're out of our house. And so let's jump into the story of Mary and Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. I should just stop reading right there, and then you'll be like, oh, okay. 
like this got serious quick. Like this wasn't just like an easy thing, but now as you kind of read between the lines, you're like, oh, through the Holy Spirit, like there's this supernatural thing at work. God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in the womb, but hey, here's the deal. Like they still got to go forward in this scandalous situation because Joseph, her husband was a faithful, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her pub, to, to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now in this context, even when you were engaged to break off an engagement required a divorce. And so he's like, I got to end this. You know, here she is sleeping around behind my back. Like, I don't want any of that. And, um, but before this happens, uh, he has his dream. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And so he has his dream and the angel tells him, no, 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 don't, uh, don't divorce Mary. So um, let me just jump ahead a few verses. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. And so kind of, let me give you kind of quick, quick thing, right? So you got young Mary, teenage, you know, here's this crisis teenage pregnancy outside of marriage. And then Joseph goes, uh-oh, oh no, oh no. And he wants to get her out of his life. And then he has a dream where he believes an angel tells him, no, don't divorce her. You need to marry her. But then after he marries her, he doesn't get to be with her for nine months of pregnancy, like on purpose. They choose not to be intimate. And now he, what is cool is, so they get married Joseph becomes the adopted father of Jesus. Jesus uh, is adopted by, by, his, by, a lot, by, a, by Joseph, raised in his home, raised in poverty, raised in difficulty. He's a blue-collar worker. He's a construction worker. And it's just amazing how God entrusted to this teenage girl uh, outside of marriage uh, the responsibility of raising Jesus and, and a father who was going to divorce his fiance and who... You know, this hardworking blue-collar guy. I, I just love the picture. And, and so uh, as we continue to read, there's some other lessons that we see, or, or a couple more parts of the story I want you to see. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom and with the grace of God, and the grace of God was upon him. I just love this picture of like, of course, you know, Jesus is perfect, but he's being raised by imperfect people. And I find this remarkable. And so first I want to give you a couple things about the way parents can get it wrong. Now this is not meant to point fingers and make you feel bad because I think that all of us can, can make some of these mistakes, but I just want to make this list for you so you can at least go, hey, if one of these as I'm going through it really jumps out, maybe you need to make note of it and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to really tackle that and work on that. The first one is this, the first area where you can really get it wrong because we're all imperfect parents just like Mary and Joseph is you could be an insecure parent. Insecure parents are the ones driven by guilt and pain. They're driven by their own failures. They're driven by their own fears, by their own mistakes in the past. And as a result, they spend most of their parenting trying to get their kids approval, trying to get their kids to like them, and they because they're trying to get everyone to like them. And sometimes your kids aren't going to like you. Sometimes you have to make decisions and parent in a way that not everybody is going to like you, especially your kids. Uh, the next type of parents I want to pull out to you are the overly permissive parents. 
Uh, a good example of this in the Bible would be Eli. Eli was a priest in the Old Testament. He literally put no consequences on his kids for doing horrible things. Uh, they, they sexually assaulted women in the temple or in the tabernacle. They, they treated the tabernacle abusively. They used their position of power and they abused it. They, they, treated, they treated God callously. And as a result, they lost, it cost them their life. So Eli would be an example of somebody who was an overly permissive parent. Uh, something to look for, right? Like they give few or no boundaries around bad or wrong behavior. And as a result, if they give consequences, they're very inconsistent or they provide no consequences at all for wrong behavior. And then because they don't deal with the bad behavior, they don't put boundaries around the bad behavior, and they don't give consistent consequences for wrong behavior, they're constantly overwhelmed with their out of control kids. And so as a result, they're, they're, they're constantly frustrated, constantly overwhelmed, and so then they react, they erupt in anger and frustration. Maybe, maybe that's something you're just like, ooh, that hurts a little bit. All right. Uh, the, the, another example would be uninvolved parents. Uh, uh, an example of this would be King David, who spent most of his time running the kingdom, fighting wars, but not, you don't really see anywhere in the Bible where he spends much time actually parenting his children other than to clean up the mess that they create from their out-of-control behavior. So uninvolved parents, something that just to be looking for would be, uh, detached from their children's lives because they're self-absorbed. They're self-involved, and, and because they're consumed with their own life, they're not involved in their kid's life, and they can be neglectful. Um, and, and because of this, they don't have a lot of expectations on their children. They don't offer a lot of discipline, and they don't engage their children in meaningful communication. Why? Because they're not involved. An, another group to look out for, and again, again, I'm trying to provide a survey here, would be overprotective parents. I, I looked in the Bible, I couldn't really find any good examples for this, so uh, I think it's more of like a modern construct. Just parents that are not, that are so in, overprotective, like we call, you can call them like today, like these are like helicopter parents. Um, they're just always hovering over, always on top of their kids, always looking over their shoulder. Uh, but at, the reality is they're driven by fear to protect their children from any consequence of bad behavior or bad decisions. They're constantly trying to rescue their children from consequences. They're trying to keep anything bad from happening in their children's life. And the challenge with that is that then the, the child's problems become the parent's problems. So those children never have any problems. Like I've literally been in counseling sessions and they're like, my child has this problem. And I'm like, your child doesn't have a problem. You have a problem. You've let their problems become your problems and you're not letting them have a problem. You should just let them have a problem and then they would figure out how to solve it. Um, and so here's, here's the big challenge with that one though. Uh, they don't let their children grow up. They don't let their children learn by their own mistakes and they don't let their children learn that they can trust themselves and they can develop their own healthy patterns for life and living. Okay, uh, one more is the authoritarian parent. An example of this would be King Saul, who is this really harsh, hyper-controlling, angry leader king in the nation of Israel. So they're harsh, they're angry, they're oppressive, they're overly strict, and they use power to threaten and control. Uh, Dr. James Dobson offers this uh, quote, for those of you that may find yourself in this category, rules without relationship will always equal rebellion. The challenge is if you're just constantly oppressive, constantly putting rules, but it lacks that intimacy of relationship, what you end up with is kids that are in rebellion.
And so what, do you, what are we going to offer you? It, it's possible that who parents and how they parent actually matters. And it will shape who your children become and the story they tell. So I want to give you a quick principle, and then I want to walk you through some passages to help you, un, to help you live this out. Parenting is writing a story of love for children to tell. Is that good? Your goal... Your goal is to help parent, or, or your goal is to parent in such a way that they experience love, so they, they tell a story of love. And then they will repeat that pattern. They will repeat that life. Now, one of the, one of the things about the story of uh, Mary and Joseph, you know, is they're not perfect. And so right off the bat, I want to, I, I know this, this is one of those messages that can make you, like, you just feel so guilty and so shameful, and that is not my goal. I want to reach right in right now and say this. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Laura and I, you know, our, as husband and wife, you know, we're not perfect. We're not going to get it perfect. And we don't have perfect children. Now, Mary and Joseph, they couldn't say that, right? Like, Mary and Joseph, they're, they're able to say, like, hey, we're not perfect, but we do have a, one perfect child. All the rest are a mess, but that one's perfect, right? Um, but here, here I want to I help you out here. You're not perfect. Your kids aren't perfect. You're not going to parent perfectly. The goal is love. Now, the challenge is parenting is not just hard, it's practically impossible. Why? Because, because we're broken. Parents are broken, kids are broken, and you know, as I said in, in marriage, you know, like, two broken halves don't make a whole. It makes for a, a more messy, broken marriage, right? And broken parents and broken children don't make a healthy a home. It makes a messy, dysfunctional home, and so what do you do? Well, the reason why things are broken at the core is sin. Sin, Jesus referred to sin, Jesus came because of sin, right? The reason Jesus came was to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. There's this really beautiful moment early in Jesus' life. I mean, literally, he's a couple days old. Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the, to the temple to offer a sacrifice for him, or they bring him to the priest to offer a sacrifice, and it's a foreshadowing. Now, every parent did this. This was part of their ancient tradition. They offered an animal sacrifice. It's kind of like a, a recognition of the gift that God gave them in this child. But this one is foreshadowing. Because when they offer a sacrifice for Jesus, they're unaware that Jesus came to offer his life as a sacrifice for them. And for us. He had to. Because every one of us are broken, imperfect people. Not just imperfect, we're sinners raising sinners. <laughs> And you need to remind yourself of that. You're not raising your kids to be perfect. They're sinners. They're messed up. They're, they're not going to get this thing right. So you're not parenting toward perfection. You're parenting sinners. Jesus came to rescue sinners. Me, my family, my kids, you, your kids. How did Jesus do that? He came, he died on a cross to give his life as the sacrifice for our sin. And then he rose from the dead and in his resurrection, he conquers sin and death and forever death. And so when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we're forgiven, we're given new life and forever life. And if, before you think about changing your parenting style, before you think about doing, you know, being less uh, uninvolved or less authoritarian or less overprotective, look, you're not going to become a better parent on your own. You, 
can try hard, but eventually that brokenness in you will break someone around you. It has to begin with faith in Jesus Christ. And can I encourage you to make that commitment to Jesus right now? Would you just say yes to Jesus by faith? And if you're making that commitment, let us know. Text the name Jesus to 81411. And, and you're not saying yes to Jesus just so you could be a better parent. You're saying yes to Jesus because you need his love. What I do know is this, that when I believe in Jesus by faith, he fills me with love. And what fills... Spills. All right. Awesome. So, so here's the thing, right? I believe in Jesus by faith. His love fills and then his love spills. And I don't believe in Jesus so I can get better at life. But what I do know is that when I believe in Jesus, he does make us better at life. And so now, how do, we, how do we take the principles of Mary and Joseph and apply it to our life and to our parenting? And like I said, this can apply to anyone. You can take these principles and you can apply them in a classroom. You can apply them in a coaching relationship. And, but, it, but it is particularly helpful in a parenting relationship. And so let's jump back into this story. Uh, we're going to go over to Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. Th this is her song when she discovers that she's pregnant with the Messiah. She goes, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And when I notice about Mary and Joseph, Joseph has a dream and he obeys God's command in that dream was that they loved God. They, they weren't just a good example to Jesus. They truly loved God and that's why God chose them. The, the application for you is that you have to live it before you lead it. This is one of my favorite leadership principles. I challenge our staff with it all the time. When I teach other pastors, I give them this principle. Live it before you lead it. Meaning you've got to have it right in your life before, before you try to get it right in someone else's life. Getting it right in your life. Here, let me, let me give you a challenge. <laughs> get it right in your life or your kids will get it wrong in theirs. Don't worry about your kids. Focus on you, right? Healthy me before healthy we. I know so many parents who they, they try to hide things in their life from their kids only to never find out that their kids struggled most of their life with those very issues. When I, before I started Lifehouse, I was a youth pastor and I would be shocked. Sometimes I would, I would have a parent come to me in private and counseling and man, I, I've struggled with this all my life. They don't know simultaneously their child came to me and was struggling with the exact same thing and they had never talked to each other. Get it right in your life or your kids will get it wrong in theirs. You gotta live it before you lead it. <laughs> love Jesus. Just love Jesus. Live for Jesus. That's what Mary and Joseph did. They loved God. She, Mary worshiped God. Joseph obeyed God. Uh, don't just go to church. Love Jesus and live for Jesus and follow Jesus and obey Jesus. You're not going to get it perfect. The goal is not perfection. The goal is love. The goal of parenting is not perfection. It's love. The goal in your relationship with God is not perfection, it's love. And you gotta, you gotta live it before you lead it. Get it right in your own heart. What is not right in your heart? Because that'll wreck parenting. And I don't want you to be driven by guilt or fear. I just want you to begin to live it before you lead it. Allow God to speak to your heart. Trust me, God will speak to you. He'll help course correct you. He'll help guide you. Allow him to lead you. And then I want, you, I want to challenge you to lead by example. So you're going to live it before you lead it, but eventually you've got to lead it. 
You have to lead by example. This is the whole idea of like, it's, it's what's caught, not taught. Your, your kids will learn from what you teach them, but they will become what you are. And you got to lead by example. And so what example are you leaving for your kids? And what will they become by what they've seen in you? Right, right? I start out by saying, it's not what your parents said, but what they did that determined whether you respect them today and want to be like them or even like them. And so your challenge is that you have to lead by example. It's what you're doing, not saying. It's what's caught, not taught. And so you have to be intentional about offering something to be caught. Are you, are you loving Jesus? Are you being obedient? Are you living generously? Are you serving others? Is your life genuinely a life that others can follow as an example? Are you loving well? Are you living generously? Are you serving others? Right? Like, I mean, and you don't need me to overpreach this. I mean, there's been movies that have been made about this. There's books that have been written about this, right? Like how that child watches the parent. They watch a mentor and then they repeat the behavior, even if the person didn't want them to repeat that behavior. So you got to lead by example. And then let me give you another challenge from, or another principle from the life of Mary and Joseph. Um, they, they came together. There was an agreement that they were going to do this together. And so I'm going to change you, one of the best things you can do for your kids is to love your spouse. Just love your spouse. Husbands, the best thing you can do in your parenting is love your life. <laughs> love your life. <laughs> I got I to reel that and recover it. Um, the best thing you can do in, your, in fathering your children is to love your wife well. Wives, Regardless of how insecure or inadequate you feel in your parenting, the best thing you can do to parent your children well is to respect and honor your husband. A healthy marriage is the greatest parenting tool. Now, I get it. This is the ideal. And for some of you, that's not real. Your marriage is already off the radar. There's not a lot of hope for that ever to recover, but I'm not gonna avoid talking about the ideal because it's not real for some of you. The, the truth of the matter is, a healthy, flourishing marriage is the best parenting tool. So love your spouse well. Mary and Joseph, they love each other well, and that gives them a significant advantage in raising Jesus and raising their children. Honor your spouse, love them. <laughs> Some of you are scared for your kids to see the, the challenges in your marriage. I, I, have, I would challenge you this. Be vulnerable in front of your children. I don't mean you have to air out all your dirty laundry, but what I do think is, how, like going back to the idea of like leading by example, how will your kids ever know how to forgive and ask for forgiveness if they don't see you guys doing that? How will they ever know how to argue and then work out that argument if they don't see you guys doing that? So what I'm saying is, don't be scared of the mess. Don't be scared of, the, of being a little bit vulnerable, of being a little bit real in front of your kids. It's okay for them to see the challenges so that they don't have a warped view of marriage. It's okay for them to watch you work out things and even work through pain and difficulties because you're actually showing them what it looks like to love in Christ and bring that love into difficulty, into arguments, into difficult financial situations, and they will learn from you how to live and love well. Let me give you a passage of scripture and I'll pull another principle out of this. Um, 
Jesus is about 12 years old. They're in Jerusalem, and they leave, they, they leave Mary and Joseph leave, and then they find out along the way, like, where's Jesus? And they find out that he's still back in Jerusalem. So they go back all the way to Jerusalem. They find Jesus, and here's the conversation. Why were, Jesus says to them, why were you searching for me? Because they're like, where were you? Why did you do this to us? He goes, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's, I, I would have to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. And there's this verse. But his mother treasured all of these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There's a couple things that jump out of that uh, teaching, and uh, let, me, let me give you um, the first one. And that is that it's interesting that God gave Mary and Joseph authority in Jesus' life. When you parent, remember that you are parenting in love with God's authority. <laughs> Parent in love with God's authority. You're not, this is not a, there, there should not be a power struggle in your home. Your kids should not be leading in the home. Now, over time, you may begin to teach them and develop them in good decision-making. So you invite them to help, you invite them to, you know, begin to cooperate in decision-making, but it is never their responsibility to lead the home, to make decisions in the home, to handle the home, right? So, so many parents, they think they're like co-parenting with their children. No, you are God's authority in your home, and, you, and this is important. God gave Mary and Joseph authority over Jesus, and Jesus became obedient to them. God obedient to an imperfect parent. Okay. Your children aren't perfect. So even more, they need to become obedient to you. And so this is first time listeners, right? We are God's authority, which means I have a responsibility to teach my children to become first time listeners. They have to be obedient. It means I don't have to constantly question about, you know, do I have the right to be the parent? No, I am the parent. It doesn't matter the circumstances with which you became a parent. Your children are a gift from God, and now they are your responsibility. So you need to lead them, love them, parent them in love with God's authority. Recognize that God has given you the authority and the responsibility to parent them. That does not give you the right to be authoritarian or overprotective, but it does give you a responsibility to love them so that, and, and exercise the necessary authority so that they honor your authority. Why? Because if you, can't, if you don't teach your children to honor your authority, they will not honor God's authority, nor will they honor anyone else's authority. Part of the reason in our nation why we have so many young people who are growing up with no respect or regard for authority was they had parents who didn't recognize that they had God-given authority. And they never require their children respect their authority. And then they raise children who had respect for no authority. Please help our nation. Help the rest of us out. Teach your children to respect your authority. And it'll make your life a whole lot easier too. All right? And then, and then one more final challenge. Let me give you this principle. Um, love the way God loves. Can, can I just challenge you? Love the way God loves. God loves us. Mary and Joseph learn how to love from God, and then they love God that way. So, you know, they, they exercised, you know, they showed affection. They gave attention. You, you want to know how your kids understand love? Time and attention. Qual, quality and quantity time and focused attention. What that mean? Just put the phone down. Put it down. Focus on your kids. Love them, play with them, laugh with them, 
Even if I know you're busy, just have them help you do whatever you're doing. Look at our house, and I don't, I don't have time to tell stories, and they would be embarrassing anyway, but most of the time, we just ask our kids to come along with us and help us do whatever we're doing. And they love it. And it's important, and you learn so many life lessons that way. Teach your kids along the way. Love them the way God loves you. Show them affection. You know, uh, your kids in their preteen years need five times the amount of physical touch as they did when they were younger. Sometimes the reason why we got kids going out doing all kinds of crazy stuff is they simply need to be touched in a healthy way by their parents. They need affection from their parents. They need attention from their parents. They don't go looking for it elsewhere. Love the way God loves. And then I, I said I had, this was the last. Let me give you one more and then I'm, I'm going to be done. Discipline is loving correction. I, I want to camp out on this, but very simply put, we have a responsibility to discipline our children well. Not in anger, not in violence. Discipline is the idea of discipleship. It's teaching them so that they grow to be obedient and do what is right. Remember, discipline, the goal of discipline is love, correcting behavior in love, not perfection. Your goal is not just to shape their behavior, but to shape their heart. So discipline in love, and remember, discipline is discipleship. How are you pointing them toward Jesus? How are you helping them to grow? Um, I, I try to keep this in mind. My primary, what am I going to focus on in discipline? Disobedience, which means I gave you a clear directive and you didn't do it. Well, that has to be corrected. You have to discipline that. If you disrespect, and I'm, I'm more, the one I get really fired up about is if they disrespect mommy. Now you disrespect me and we'll work it out. But you mess with mommy and the, and the hammer's about to come. <laughs> and then uh, dishonesty disobedience, disrespect, dishonesty. Look, if it doesn't fall into those three categories, man, be careful. Don't pick too many fights, all right? <laughs> Parenting is hard enough, but if it's, if, they, if it's disrespectful, disobedient, or dishonest, then you have to correct it. Uh, but do it in love. Do it, do it with the goal of preserving the relationship, not just your reputation. All right, I, I know I've given you a lot. I want to take a moment. I want to pray over you. Really, this is my goal. I want to preach to get to this point because I just want to ask God's richest blessing on you. Those of you that are parents, you're, 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 you're biologically parents, you're adoptive parents, you're foster parents. Look, if you think you're a parent because you have a pet, I am praying for you. That doesn't count right now. But, I, but, but there are those, you got teachers who have a very tough job during this season. We got coaches, we got people who have significant influence in young people's lives. I want to pray for you. Jesus, help. <laughs> what do I say? We need all the help we can get. And we know that your Holy Spirit's the best help. And, and, and so right now we need your love and we want to give your love, God, for every parent, every teacher, every coach, everyone who has significant influence in a young person's life. Help us to love well so that they tell a story of love. And, and right now, God, we're, 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 right, we're thinking ahead to the kind of stories they will tell. Help us to love in such a way that they tell a story of love. Not a story of perfection, but a story of love. And may our life point them to Jesus. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. 
We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.